Please stand one last time this morning in honor of the reading of the Word of God. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, we love You this morning. We pray that You'd have Your way with us. I ask now, God, that You would anoint me to preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Pray that You would anoint the ears of our hearts to hear, the eyes of our hearts to see. God, give our heart understanding this morning. Have Your way with us, Lord. Break through our walls. Have Your way in us. God, we ask this morning, God, that You be lifted up and glorified. We pray that anybody that's lost would be saved. God, we pray that You would be just lifted up, that You'd have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning is the conclusion of a series that we have been in over the last month titled Real Love. In our... First text in John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It was not a new commandment that we love one another. That that had been commanded that we love one another, that we love our neighbor um, from the Old Testament. But Jesus said, I've come and I've shown you what love looks like. I have walked among you. I have shown you what the love of God is. And He says, now I give you a new commandment. The way that I have loved, so you should love one another. 
The last few weeks, we've looked at the pictures in the Word of God of God's love and how God would uh, bring a slave. We sang about it. I don't know if you ever knew that song that we sang, Now the Slave is Our Brother. That's a reference to Onesimus. That's a reference to uh, when Paul told him, He who was once your slave is now your brother. We've looked at how God's love through Hosea would track down a wife that had turned his back on him and had gone out and would, had been with others and, and how uh, yet uh, Hosea showed up and paid the price to redeem her back. This morning we are going to look at the life application because everything that we've studied is we have looked at the fact that God loves us and it is, I've spent four weeks trying to do the best I can to somehow just scratch the surface of the reality of how much God loves us. And how much God loves you as an individual. But the truth this morning is, brothers and sisters, God's love was never meant to stop with us. It's meant to come to us and then through us. God wants us to be His hands and feet in this world. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there is no question about it, by far the greatest chapter in the New Testament on Christian love and what it should look like. And this morning, we want to dig into this together as we look at the life application of this overall sermon series, Real Love. Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Paul here is referencing the Corinthian church who has gone from two incredible extremes. If you read the first seven chapters of 1 Corinthians, you'll find out this was a church that had uh, a lot of problems. Uh, a lot of sexual immorality within the church. A lot of problems within the church and, and people acting like children, people acting uh, adults, Christians that should be mature. It was the Corinthian church that Paul said in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, I would like to address you as spiritual, but I can't. I would like to address you that way, but you are like carnal, mere men. You are babies in the faith. And this is a church who is swung from one extreme of just living how they want to live, being free and being loose and being carnal-minded, to the other extreme of, of all of the gifts. And they're trying to walk in the power of the Spirit and laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed and speaking in tongues and, and having all knowledge and all mysteries. And they went from one extreme to the other. And Paul's saying, but you have missed something in your extreme transition." And Paul says something that to the gifted man, to the gifted woman, is hard to swallow. He says, though I am gifted, whether it's prophecy, whether it's understanding mysteries, whether it's having all knowledge, whether it's having all faith, so that I could remove mountains. Don't miss the statement. He says, I am nothing. Nothing. That's a big word. Not my ministry is diminished. Not though I can do all these great things and have not love, I'm not as productive as I could be with love. He says, no, though I have all faith, though I am gifted beyond your wildest imaginations, and Paul certainly was, 
Paul was a man who, who, who prayed over handkerchiefs and they sent out and, 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 and when these handkerchiefs touched sick people, they were healed. Demons were cast out. This is the Apostle Paul who just turned to the slave girl and cast the demon out of her. This is the Apostle Paul who raised the dead back to life. This is, this is one who understood what it meant to be gifted. He was not a theoretical speaker here. He wasn't saying, if indeed I have these things. The reality is that he did possess these gifts. And he says, yet without love, I am nothing. That's a zero. You see, a lot of people tend to define themselves by their gift. And they excuse their lack of love. They excuse their their inability to to really love people and to show kindness and mercy and, 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 and all that is love under the disguise of, well, that's somebody else's ministry in the church. I'm gifted as a prophetic teacher. Or I'm gifted in this area. Or I am gifted in this area. Paul says, I don't care how gifted you are. And I don't care what gift you function in. If you have love, you're a, if you don't have love, you're a zero. A zero. That's a big deal. Do you define yourself by your gift? Do you excuse your lack of compassion and love towards people because you function so well in other capacities of ministry? Paul says, if that's the case, you're nothing. He says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Here he deals with the other group of people. And I've seen it in the modern day church that there are kind of two groups of people, and this is oversimplifying it, but you've got those that think they're super spiritual and they work in the gifts and they believe in healing and they pray for miracles and, 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 and they're all that faith crowd, right? And, and Paul addresses that crowd in the very first two verses. But then I've seen the other side of the coin, those who reject that crowd and who don't believe in that type of stuff, and they think they're more spiritual because they're over here on this side and they're givers, right? They're, they're strategic givers. And so they have something they can look at and say, we have accomplished this through our giving. Maybe it's of their time, maybe it's of their money, but they are those who think that somehow their giving in and of itself accomplishes something for God. Paul says, both of you are wrong. Without love, it's nothing. Without love, it's empty. And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to give us the mirror of love. This morning, what I'm coming at you with is a head-on crash course, examine your heart, are you someone through whom which love flows? The last four weeks, you know what we've looked at the last four weeks, and I'm telling you, it's been good. It, God has been good. God's moved in this place. God has revealed Himself to us. God has reminded us and shown us in new ways how much He loves us. And all of us, we love to be loved. There's nobody in this place under the sound of my voice who does not want to be loved. And so when we preach on receiving love, it's like hallelujah, amen, brother. When we preach on how much God loves us, we're saying yes, and we're grateful for that, and we should be. But when we begin to mature past childish things, Paul said, when I was a child, I thought I was a child, but there comes a time when you have to mature as a man. 
And we understand that life isn't all about just living under the Father's roof and God bestowing His love upon us and feeding us and caring for us and taking care of us. That there's a time we've got to come out of the door and begin to do the work of the Father and that the same love that He's given us, He wants us to give others. When we begin to look at loving others, then the tables turn a little bit. We begin to make excuses as we looked at last week for why we don't love, why we withhold. And here's what I want you to see this morning. I don't know if this is the only time I'll make this statement or not. But I want you to, everything that we go through, I want you to keep in the context of this. There is a difference between having love for somebody and having love towards another person. We all love, you know, I love them. I love them, but. There's a difference between having love for somebody and love towards somebody. If I have a check for you, it doesn't do you any good at all. I've got a check in my pocket for you for $100. It means nothing to you until what? I pull it out of my pocket and I place it in your hands. There's a vast difference between saying I have love for a person. I love, I just don't want to be around them. I just don't want to see them. Because Jesus had love for us, and not only did He come around us, He came and lived right in the midst of us. Born in a manger, took on human flesh, lived a life. He was mocked by many of, of the world around Him. We studied His death last week. And we looked at the cruelty that He went through. Because He didn't just have love for us, He had love towards us. Now, the question this morning, we've got to ask ourselves, do we have love towards others? Paul tells us what love looks like in order to, in, in order to make sure that we're not confused about love. And I'm telling you, we are in a culture that's confused about love. At first, Paul tells us what love is not, and then he tells us what love is. That's an important thing to know. But we are in a culture that's confused about love. We think love is some type of just, you know, feeling. And if you don't have the feeling, you don't love somebody. Love is a choice. Love is an action. I don't understand how we even get it in our brains. If God tells us to love our enemies, I don't even understand how we get it in our brains that love is supposed to be some always just butterfly feeling thought where I just want to hug you and skip down the, you know, the road holding hands looking at daisies. You're never going to feel that way towards your enemies. And God is not insinuating that when He says love your enemies. Paul tells us what love is not. He tells us love suffers long. In other words, it's patient. Love is patient. I thank God that love is patient. God's had to be patient with all of us. Don't, don't look at me like He hadn't had to be patient with you. You're not any different than the rest of us in this world. You're not any different than me. You're not any different than your neighbor. God's had to be patient with all of us. Maybe some more than others. But let's just get real this morning with one another. We've all got our testimonies. Alright? We've all got our stuff. We've all got our junk. We've all got our past. Some of you have given your testimony. Others of you have not. But the reality is, at the end of the day, 
all of our testimonies in the church, and they're good. I'm not diminishing them. But they're really just like G-rated versions of the real thing. Packaged for Christian consumption. Packaged to somehow, you know, build up the emotion of what we once were, and now we're this in Christ. And I am not diminishing that, but what I'm saying this morning is the point of that is only you know and only God knows how wicked you've really been. Only you know. There's stuff you don't want to share. There's stuff that if you really got honest about everything you thought, everything you've done, and what it really looked like at its worst, people leave this place embarrassed that what you spoke came into their ears. And yet God loved you. See, love's patient. Don't pretend God hasn't been patient with you. Our problem is we're not patient with people. Love does something. It, it's patient. It suffers long. And now he begins to tell us that it does not envy. Here's what love is not. It does not envy. In other words, it doesn't uh, envy when you have hatred towards somebody else because they have something you don't have. It's, it's when you envy somebody for, for what they've got or what they've done. Or sometimes it's you envy somebody for living so bad and not getting in trouble for it. But we can have envy towards somebody that's hatred. That's, that's ultimately the desire. To see them suffer for what I don't like. Paul says that's the opposite of love. That's the opposite of love. I want to say that love, though, is not is not powdery. It's not it's not that love does not uh, it's not that love sweeps stuff under the carpet. Remember, this is the same Apostle Paul who told the First Corinthians church, chapter 5, concerning the sexually immoral man. Put him from outside the church. That's what, that's what he said. Put him outside the church. This is the same Apostle Paul who said of, uh, uh, I want to say Hymenaeus. I can't think of his name. He told Timothy, though, they've shipwrecked the faith of others. He said, therefore, I've turned them over to Satan. For a time. This is the Apostle Paul. He understood discipline within the church. He's not saying that there's never any time for discipline. But I want you to understand the difference between love, godly love, and, and, and envy here. Love tries to make a way out. Love says, I understand you're guilty. I'm not going to pretend you're not. I'm not going to pretend you're not in sin. But God says, I'm going to leave my throne in heaven and I'm going to come down and I'm going to help you out of this thing. That's a lot different than the tolerance that our day and culture says, which, oh, this is just how you feel. This is your way of life. Well, then just so be it. Everybody's equal. You want to have three wives and have three wives. You want to be divorced five times and be divorced five times. You want to have this lifestyle and have that lifestyle. You want to live this way and live that way. We're all just equal. Who are we to say? That's not what this is talking about. There's a difference between love and tolerance. But that said, real love does not envy. Real love helps make a way out. Real love. Not only does it not envy, it does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. In other words, it's not about me. 
The motivation behind why I do what I do, it's not about me. We talked about this last week when we discussed the difference between lust and love. See, lust is about me. What can I get? How can I be elevated by my time? How can I be elevated if I give of myself? Love says, I'm not trying to build myself up. I'm trying to build you up. I'm not trying to help me out. I'm trying to help you out. And I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to go to the cross. Jesus said, I'm willing to hang there and to bleed and to die if it will help you out of your mess. See, that's love. It's not about me. It's not about building me up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It thinks no evil. does not rejoice in iniquity. does not rejoice in iniquity. We live in a sick culture where some Christian-minded circles, churches, through this disguise of just loving everybody and being friendly, they actually find themselves guilty of this passage in rejoicing in iniquity. And by that I mean they're proud of the fact that their congregation is full of sinners. You know, we've got people here that live this way, that live that way, and they feel welcome. Listen, there's a difference between feeling welcome and feeling like you're going to heaven when you're really going to hell. And if you're going to hell and the church makes you think you're going to heaven because they won't tell you the truth, that's not love. That's cowardice. Don't mistake being a coward for being showing love. Real love does not rejoice in sin. It hates sin. Because it's honest enough. Love is honest. And it's honest enough to say the truth. The sin will destroy you. It will, it will, it will just, it's to, it will kill you. The devil is a liar. Everything that he is is meant to destroy you. It'll destroy your home. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your relationship with God. Love will tell you the truth and love will hate sin because of what sin does to you. And anytime we find ourselves in a place where we're we're not dealing with sin. And it's like, well, it's okay. You know, we're all sinners. No. God wants you to be a son or daughter of His. God wants you to mature up out of that. And that's not to say that you're never going to sin. Don't, don't misunderstand me. That's not going to say that you're never going to fall in the mud. But somebody, somebody who's truly saved, when they fall in the mud, they're not going to want to stay in that place. Because I don't belong there anymore. That's not my home anymore. That's not my nature anymore. I've got a new nature. I've been born again. And I got trapped up and I fell into the pit. But I hate it there. I don't like it there. I want out of that place. True salvation brings that to the life of God's children. So love does not rejoice in sin. It does not, uh, it does not uh, flippantly deal with sin as if it means nothing. But it rejoices in the truth. Now, now look what love does. Love bears all things. I told you that this rarely does. It, it, God's Word is a confronting book, by the way. And this is the most confronting book in the world. And when we stare this thing down and we really let it shine light on our hearts, brothers and sisters, sometimes it's confronting. 
But love bears all things. There's things love will put up with that nothing else will. Love will bear a lot. It's like I have to insert, because when our walls go up and we begin to justify why we won't bear with somebody, I have to insert, hey, God bears with us. Remember, God has to bear with you. God has to bear with me. And it doesn't just bear some things. It bears all things. You want me to prove it? Love bears all things. It bears all things. All things. All things. You say, how can, how, how, can, how can I really love somebody that's this terrible? Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe there's anybody in the entire world that God doesn't love? Do you believe there's anybody in the entire world that God's not willing to save? We looked at it in our text last week. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves everyone. So it don't matter what they've done. And if God loves them, then love really does bear all things. There's nothing that love does not bear. It believes all things. Hopes all things and endures all things. I want to look at believe and hope. Real love. Real love. God's love. It believes in change. We looked at the life of Onesimus and we looked at how God sent Onesimus back to Philemon and, and how really Philemon was in that battle where he had to be willing to believe that Onesimus could be changed. If you don't believe God can change him, then why do you think God can change you? See, love, real love, it believes all things. It hopes all things. Love believes it's not too late. Love believes you can change. Love believes they can change. Love believes somehow, someway, there's hope. There is hope that it's not over. That as long as there's breath in His lungs, as long as, as long as there's life to be lived, it is possible that this person can change. When you fight, start finding yourself thinking, well, they're done. They're a lost cause. They're hopeless. Let's just move on. Let's just consider them dead to me. Let's just consider them uh, as history. And let's move on with our life because they're beyond help. That's not love. You've bought the trap of the devil because God never gave up on you. And God hasn't given up on them. Love believes all things, hope all things. It endures all things. Love endures. I want you to understand that about love. Enduring is hard. It's not easy. It's not patty cake type stuff. Enduring is difficult. When you have to endure through something, that's not a word that we like. Endurance is obviously where we get, it comes from the word endure. It means kind of like prolonged pain. Prolonged suffering. And if you're going to increase your endurance in any sport, like running, for example, you're going to have to push yourself through the pain. You're going to have to push yourself further the next time. Endurance is not easy. Endurance does not feel good. Nor does enduring. 
The Bible says love endures all things. All things. Here's what I'm telling you this morning. Love never gives up. And as I've already said, isn't that awesome when we think about the fact God's love never gives up on us? That makes you feel good. But then when we turn the mirror on our face and find out if we've given up on anyone else, we begin to make excuses, don't we? Love endures all things. Now look what it says in verse 8. Love never fails. I want to talk about this for a moment. Love never fails. Love never fails. If it failed, it wasn't love. If it failed, it isn't love. Now, I want to be fair. I want you to understand something about relationship, husband and wife, marriage. It's possible, though not likely, nor is it the norm, but I just want to acknowledge it's possible for one person to love another, truly love. I'm talking God love. The love that does something. Not that, oh, I love them. Not, not love for, but love towards somebody. It's possible to have love towards somebody, to show and give love, and that person refuse it. A relationship is not one way. We see this with God. Hey, God loves all of us equally. God has no favorite children. He loves us all perfectly, completely, in, in, in a way so deep and so vast that, that five weeks of preaching on it has not has just barely scratched the surface off of it. That's how much God loves us. But not everybody in this world has a relationship with God. And it's not because God loves them less. It's because it does require an acceptance. But the fact is, if it fails, somebody wasn't loving. Because love never fails. That's the awesome thing about real love. That's the awesome thing about God's love. Now for the life application. Look what Paul says in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. In verse 13, Paul says, Now abides faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I'm going to get to verse 11 in a moment, but I want you to know something about chapter 13. Some people believe that chapter 13 was actually a poem that was written by the Apostle Paul before he wrote to the Corinthians. And that Paul, they don't doubt that it was inspired by the Holy Ghost. They don't doubt that it's the Word of God. But some believe that Paul wrote it beforehand and chose to insert it right here in the middle of the Corinthians. They argue this because most of Paul's writings um, have a more consistent flow. And this is, if you, if you read verse uh, chapter 11, chapter 12, and then chapter 14, there's a flow. But sometimes Paul did kind of have like a parenthesis. You see that in Romans. Romans chapter 8, the great chapter on love. It ends on love. And then you've got Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's like Paul's parenthesis on Israel. And then he picks right back up in verse 12 where he left off, in chapter 12 where he left off in chapter 8. Either way, here's what's important about what I'm about to tell you. Verse 1 through verse 13 
is one constant thought. The whole thing is on love. It's very clear, excuse me, in verse 13, it's very clear that Paul is concluding his thought on love, which started in verse 1. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So everything between verse 1 and verse 13 deals with love. Even these difficult passages about understanding I see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, I know in part now, but when that which is perfect, that which is in part will be done away with. And verse 11 deals with love. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Last week, when we talked about Jesus going to the cross, what did I say? Love is tough. Real love is not weakness. That's what the world wants us to think, that real love is weakness. Are you just getting walked over? Jesus was not just getting walked over, my friends. He was in divine control all the time. Every step that He took, every breath that He took, every word that He spoke, He was not some helpless victim to a cruel world. He was and is the Almighty God working His infinite plan to lavish His love upon mankind all the way up through His last breath and up through the resurrection from the dead. He was in control. Even on the cross, as He hung there, stripped naked, bleeding, being mocked, He was still the great I Am who spoke all that was into existence, who was there at the beginning, who nothing was made that was not made through His hands. He was still that same almighty, powerful God. Love is power. It's not weakness. Don't be mistaken. Don't let the world tell you you're being weak. It takes a man... It takes a mature person. It takes strength to love. Anybody can walk out on people that do them wrong. Anybody can do it. That don't take strength. That's weakness. Now here's what Paul said. You've got, you, you've got to put away childish things. Your children are selfish. They're just selfish. I have, my little one is too young to even uh, bring into this scenario, but I have three, three children. They're some of the greatest children that you'll ever meet compared to the average child in our day and time. They're pretty respectful. They do what they're asked. They... Mind pretty well. But it made no mistake about it. My kids are selfish. I watch the way they treat each other. I watch the way they manipulate how they're going to tell me what happened in the other room so that it sounds, you know, a certain way and then comes the other one around and they're telling me how it really happened and their story's a little bit different about how it happened. That's children. And ultimately, the child thinks of himself. How can I get out of trouble? I've got a son that respects me. 
as much as any boy I've ever seen respect their dad. He's crushed when I'm disappointed in him. So crushed, he goes, a lot of time I go into the other room. He can't even bear to see my face. He's so distraught. But I'm telling you, in the moment, when he thinks if he says something a little different, that it might keep him from getting in trouble, he does it. You know why? There's a reason why. Because he's childish. I sure hope there comes a time when he grows up into a man and is willing to stop it and acknowledge, no, I, I, I messed up here. I was wrong. The, 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 the truth is, I blew it and I messed it up and I ruined it. And I... See, there's a time when you've got to progress from being a child to a man. Now, Paul said concerning this love, there's a time that you've got to put away childish things. Can I tell you my honest opinion as a pastor? Most people never really mature to that place. They live like children their whole lives. They treat people different they're mad at. They manipulate the stories they tell me about what's going on in the home over here because really they've picked a side. They don't grow up. Now here's what I want you to see. Paul said, I put away. I put away. I put away. She loves a choice. Not a feeling. It's something you choose to do. And it's not just going to happen. Paul said, I put it away. There are some things in your Christian life that you ought to just break your fast about. You can't fast away a choice that you have to make. You can't pray until your face is blue and pray away a choice you have to make. Praying, God, change this, change that, change that. Help me love, help me love, help me love. Paul said, when I grew up, I put it away. Not God took it from me, not I pleaded with God and fasted and sought the face of God until I could finally love. He said, I made the choice to do it. It's your choice. And when we refuse to do it, we stand guilty of breaking the commands of God. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. You see, it's still your choice. Love is a choice. And it's time that some of us grow up and put away childish things. Quit acting like a child. Acting like a child in the way you treat people you don't like. Acting like a child in the way you treat people at your workplace. Acting like a child at the way you treat your husband or your wife or your people that you're at odds with. And Knock it off. Grow up. Put away childish things. Paul said without love, I am nothing. This morning I close with these thoughts. Very candid, very pointed statement to Crossway Church. Everything draws up to, up, up to this moment. This whole series. This year. Looking forward to next year. 
Without love, we are nothing. You know, it makes sense. Paul said that, that though I have all the gifts and all the great wisdom and all the great things, but have not love, I'm nothing. You know, many of you can relate to the statement of, I don't like church, or I used to hate church, or I quit going to church. There's so many hypocrites there. What do you really mean when you say that? Think about it. I mean, most of the hypocrites that you know, they went to church every week. They studied their Bibles. They did Bible studies. They participated in, you know, their giving and missions and all that type of stuff. So how are they hypocrites? If you really get to the heart of what you meant, you watched them refuse to love people. You felt unloved. And that one thing that lacked was enough for you to step away and say, I don't want nothing to do with it. No wonder Paul said, without love, we're nothing. So here's what I want to say to Crossway Church this morning. There's a lot of stuff going on here at Crossway that's awesome. We've had some awesome services. Life's changed. Church is growing, expanding. Good things are happening. We've got a vision that, that really like just totally begins the first day of January 2014. We have a seven-year vision called Crossway Vision, CWC Vision 2020. It's right out there on the big board as you walk in. It's a seven-year plan that by the end of the year 2020, we're positioned, and if God helps us to move quicker, great. But by the end of that year, we're positioned to be able to move to be able to build. We have a plan to continue to grow. We're going to try to knock. We're not going to try. We're going to do it. We're going to knock on every single door in the entire city of Derby and personally invite them to come to church. We're going to revamp our, our um, programs for uh, Christian growth and helping you as God's people be equipped for ministry and building relationships that matter. We're going to continue to evangelize this community. We're going to continue to grow. We've got all these thoughts, and they're good thoughts. And they're good things, and they're necessary. And I believe it's God-given vision and direction. But we can have all of that, and we can accomplish all of that, and we can build a church, and we can go on. But if we don't have love, we're nothing. Nothing. And so as we begin to to thrust into this new stage and this new season and cross this threshold, we must be showing God's love to others. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. As our worship team comes, I want you to look at one last verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. Very simple verse. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The last point I want to communicate this morning. 
we need to be telling a world that God loves them. For God so loved the world. He's the source of the love. If you ever feel unloved, understand you need to go to God because He's the source. But I want to say, as if I'm talking to mature Christians this morning, there comes a time when we have to quit just saying that and pointing people to God and saying, well, don't look at me. Don't look at us. Don't look at so-and-so in the church. Don't listen to the pastor. Don't listen to the deacon. Don't listen to the Sunday school teacher. You'll never get love from any of those guys. You can only trust in God. No! You are the body. We have a responsibility not to just say we love people, but to be loved to people. God has chosen that we are the dwelling place of Him. Paul said to the same group of people, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so we have the responsibility of not just telling people that God loves them, but of being God's love to them. Show it in action. You can only hear it so many times and embrace it without being able to actually see it in action. So my challenge to you this morning, Crossway Church, my challenge to you as an individual, do you have love to people? Not just do you love them, I'll guarantee the same people that you thought of as hypocrites, right? If, if I set them down and I, I talk to them about the situation, that you know what they'd say? They'd say, well, I still love them. That's what they'd say. And I think they'd mean it. There's a difference between love for somebody and love towards somebody. Crossway Church, we're moving forward. There are good things ahead of us. But I'm telling you, God, under His divine leadership and direction, has led us as a church this last sermon series of 2013 to get refocused on His love and to remember that all that we do, if we have the best Sunday school classes, if we have the best teaching, if we have the best sermons, if we have the best worship, if we have the best children's ministry, any of that, and we don't have love, it's not just that we've diminished a little bit of the ministry, we're a zero. Zero. This morning, may we be honest enough. I told you, this is a confronting book. May we be honest this morning to check our hearts and say, God, have I been withholding love because I just don't want to get hurt? Listen, love's risky. It's risky. It is. Real love's risky. Real love says, I'm I'm willing to get hurt. If I have to. If I've got to go to the cross. If I've got to hang there while they mock me and spit on me and ridicule me. I can't, I can't, I can't not go. I can't stop because I love you too much. Lord, I pray that you'd move across this room. I believe I've said everything you'd have me to say. I pray, God, you'd do that spiritual work and take everything, God, that's been said and wrap it up in our own individual hearts, God, and that this morning we would be willing to respond to you. God, as you have dealt with our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.